1: I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen
0: Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about uh, all kinds of things, actually. And we are spending this episode kind of closing out some of our discussion on Pride Month. And so we have some fun things to talk about. But first, hello, Karen. How are you?
1: Hello, Lauren. I'm okay. I'm a little tired. (laughs) It's been a week.
0: <laughs> I feel it has been a week I think for for a lot of different reasons why do you want to share why it has been a week for you? <laughs>
1: uh, I mean no particular reason just I decided to take some vacation time because I haven't had any real time off in like I feel like since before the pandemic and uh, which I guess isn't entirely accurate. I've made a couple trips up to Utah but You know what I mean? It's just like, it feels like there's constantly stuff happening. And, um, so I was like, oh, I'm going to take a couple days off. Maybe I'll get out of town. Just go somewhere by myself. It'll be great. And then my brother reminded me that he had asked me to dog sit for him this weekend. And I was just like, (laughs) I'm happy to do it, but I'm also like, oh, well, there go my only plans for the summer that were going to be just for me, but oh, well. well you have the a cute so yeah and they have a pool which i plan to take full advantage of later that's
0: nice <laughs> that is very nice yeah well um well i'm i'm tired because fireworks were going off until about <sighs> three o'clock in the morning and, Tis the I'm season. Like, and i'm like look guys i know that like it's a neighborhood it's saturday night or friday night and but still i was just like but is it real i mean are you really having fun doing this at three o'clock in the morning is this really like the best use of your time um yeah Yeah. it's not great but so that's that's life you know i kind of i'm used to it in this neighborhood it's not as bad as it was last year Mm -hmm. so so very grateful for that but anyways so we have a lot of different things to talk about um but i wanted to start out with some of the kind of upcoming news information things like that um first of all elaine may is getting an honorary oscar
1: yay which is awesome she should have gotten like four or five competitive oscars but we'll take this one
0: yeah, you know, so looking at her filmography, not just the films that she made um, as, as a director, but also the films that she contributed to as a writer. Uh, it's, it's like, come on guys, it's like why, why does, and I'll tell you why she doesn't have an Oscar. One, she's a woman. Two, she has worked primarily in comedy. and and those two things like are major strikes against her doesn't matter that she's you know one of the best writers of her generation doesn't matter that you know pretty much every one of her films is fantastic it's um you know she's a woman and she she works in comedy uh so but congratulations to elaine may we are really happy about that uh because so excited she is so cool the one of the other things i wanted to touch on really quickly just because i think it's funny (laughs) um
1: it's pretty funny
0: it is pretty funny is so steven spielberg's um amblin entertainment has inked a deal with netflix um which as i think forbes pointed out actually is kind of jumping over peacock which um which is related to which is already related to amblin so it's kind of funny that he is like deciding to go for netflix rather than (laughs) the thing that like the the group of companies that he works with are already related to Um, at the same time you know netflix is is definitely one of the big the big guys in terms of streaming uh what i what makes this funny and yes to answer everybody who who were just like well it's not actually hypocritical no it is hypocritical um spielberg back in 2018 i think it was uh basically had a little fit about how streaming isn't actually cinema and and films that are released they're released on streaming should not be eligible for oscars and this was within the context of the nomination of roma um which then um, that was the year that green book won also wasn't it
1: uh-huh.
0: so it, it was all very ugly and yes i do think that this is hypocritical so that then spielberg turns around and has his company do a deal with netflix for distribution you know is he going to consider those films to be tv movies i don't know maybe he will um but still you when you're talking about this major film this major um mexican film and his big thing was just like well it's not really a film because it was released on streaming it wasn't released in primarily in theaters um that's that's a problem uh so i do find it a bit funny and also yes very hypocritical of him
1: oh absolutely yeah uh I was trying to find exactly like what the comments were that were attributed to him back in 2018. And I can't find it specifically other than uh, he said, let's see, we love cinema. Oh no, this is the Netflix response. Um, But anyway, yeah, his, his thing was back then and what he said a lot of times um, were specifically about that Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay, so this was actually in a speech that he gave at the Cinema Audio Society Awards. Um, He received their, their filmmaker award that year, and he said, I hope all of us really continue to believe that the greatest contributions we can make as filmmakers is to give audiences the motion picture theatrical experience. I'm a firm believer that movie theaters need to be around forever. There's nothing like going to a big, dark theater with people you've never met before and having the experience wash over you. That's something we all truly believe in. And, you know, I love going to the movies. I went yesterday. I went and saw Fast 9, which if I had watched that at my house, I probably would have fallen asleep. But uh, it's, it's the... It's the conceit I think or or just this this weird like he it, it's like he forgets that most people have experienced his movies for the first time at home on their couch in their living room because it's not like jaws is just playing somewhere every weekend that you can go see it on the big screen it's on TV every year at the 4th of July they'll, they'll do marathons this week you know and Indiana Jones all those movies, like people have them on blu-ray they have them on dvd they watch them at home they watch them on tv all the time and sure it was exciting i remember getting to see some of his movies the first time on the big screen i remember seeing jurassic park a million times when it was in the theaters but but most of the times that i've seen his movies have been at home and so it, this was always not to relitigate what he said before but it it's completely hypocritical that that he now is just like yep i'm going to make this big deal with netflix and kind of just let's just forget i said any of those things and i i i hope at some point soon that he comes back and says you know what i misjudged that situation i missed i misjudged what netflix was trying to do and if he says that you know then that's good that that's it's good to acknowledge that he was wrong and to move forward but if he just ignores it, pretends he never said it or, or just, you know, just moves on. That's really unfair to all the people who have had to deal with the fallout from his comments and the, the arguments and debates that happened as a result. And I really do believe I mean, I don't know that Roma was going to win Best Picture, but I do think that the divide between Roma and Green, and Green Book and some of the other movies that year or why Green Book won. Not necessarily why Roma lost, but why Green Book won. And that's still a sticking point. You know what I mean? So,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I know Netflix likes to give huge money to big name directors you know they they had they made a huge deal with ryan murphy they made a huge deal with um uh oh my gosh who was it
0: Scorsese.
1: <laughs> yes yeah uh they did they made a huge deal mm-hmm. with scorsese they've recently announced a, a partnership with someone else i can't think of who um And so this is what they like to do is make these huge deals with directors to get their names attached. And so it's, I, I actually kind of applaud Netflix that they're just like, well, (laughs) (laughs) he's going to say we're the death of of cinema. Let's go get him and bring him on board. And I can't imagine how much they're paying him in this deal to get him to come along. But you know, it's, it's interesting. The whole thing is, is interesting.
0: (laughs) Uh, yes, I think that that is one way of putting it Definitely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I, I, oh, sorry, there's a plane going by. Oh,
0: okay. I was wondering what that
1: was. But yeah, I think this whole journey has been kind of, uh, kind of really just interesting with Netflix in general, scoping back from the Spielberg stuff. I think all of us kind of went through that at first, you know, like when they started making their own original content, their own films and, and tv shows i think everybody had to go through a process of like well is this a tv movie or is it just a movie is there a difference and i think some people are just coming to the realization late <laughs> that a movie is a movie you know i mean well, one I'm, of oh sorry
0: yeah no I, I was just gonna say that i agree with you go go on
1: well i was gonna say one of the things that was particularly frustrating not to beat the roma thing uh, into the ground but one of the things that was really frustrating about that was that Roma was not produced by Netflix. It was purchased by Netflix and the company that actually produced it has produced some of Steven Spielberg's movies. So for him to say that it wasn't cinematic just because of who ended up buying the rights to distribute it was so disingenuous. And, and this is a situation where he's actually going to be working with Netflix to produce movies. So it kind of makes it even funnier.
0: I mean, I think that it definitely shows how the the cinematic landscape, as it were, has has changed. And the fact that Netflix, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, a lot of the big ones are producing their own content They're they're making. So they're making their own films, but they're also distributing films, as as we've talked about. And you know i think that there's this whole debate that goes on between is this you know is this the death of cinema is this good is this bad it is right it simply is and i don't necessarily think that it's good or bad i think that it's a new permutation of what cinema looks like and is
1: going to continue to look like yeah um, yeah this and, is and the thing well i'm oh, sorry
0: I was gonna, and that's just the reality, right? Yeah. And and it's it's especially and it's been heightened I think because of the pandemic because movie theaters have been closed pretty much mm-hmm. for the past year. They're only just beginning to reopen. A lot of people myself included aren't comfortable going to movie theaters yet. Um and so the way that most of us have been experiencing film uh for the past year has been via streaming, what's available on streaming, what we're able to get access to. And I think that that's going to continue to happen. Again, whether you say this is a good thing or a bad thing it is a thing it's something that exists it's something that is the next development of of how we are going to experience cinema how we're going to experience film and that's just something we're going to have to deal with and stop debating well is netflix evil i don't think that netflix is the greatest company in the world i don't think that any of these but i also don't think that you know wb is i i don't think that any, all of these studios are there to make money and they're there to get their films to the most people and make the most the most money that they possibly can and they're going to do that however works for them
1: mm-hmm. yeah exactly well and the thing too uh that i have found curious in all this is how steven spielberg used to be the guy that was leading the way like he was ushering in changes major changes in the way that hollywood worked and um and how movies were made and then at some point he became the guy that was super resistant to change it was like he found what worked for him and didn't want to didn't want to change that formula and so him being like kind of this late adopter of this after so many other people including scorsese have embraced it has been um surprising i guess
0: well and yes and no i think i think the spielberg definitely comes from that generation of filmmakers that there's there's a veneration of the theater of the concept of the theater and, and there's, and I understand that there's, and again, I'm not anti-movie theater. Sometimes I feel like I'm anti-movie theater. I'm just like, I'm not, I just don't think that it's the ultimate experience of cinema. I don't think it's the only way that you can experience it because, you know, like you say, most of the films that I watched as a kid, I didn't, I don't really remember going to see movies in the movie theater that well. I remember seeing films on videos at home because that's the way that I watched films. Mm -hmm. um and and that's true for most people of my generation uh but i so i think that there is this like and and spielberg does trade in nostalgia that a lot of his he's a very classical filmmaker in a lot of ways yeah he doesn't experiment particularly he doesn't try to do new things with new technology he mostly just keeps on making the kind of classical films that you know that that almost do have a place within the studio system. You can imagine, and in fact, that's the whole point of the Indiana Jones films, for God's sake, right? And, and you can imagine a lot of his stuff just working, fitting in perfectly to you know 1950s Hollywood. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's a good filmmaker, but he he doesn't really try to to deal with or cope with the changes in technology and the fact that you know cinema looks different now and it's going to look different it's going to continue to look different and that's he can't do anything about that like he can push back against it and he can make it really tough for other filmmakers but he can't really alter the trajectory of all of that as as is proven by this deal
1: yeah yep that's the thing if you can't beat them join them (laughs) yeah
0: and i I mean so you know in terms of someone like scorsese who does try new things like uh i remember when he did when he used 3d with hugo and he was like okay we've got this new technology we've got this technology that i've never really worked with i'm gonna see what i can do with it and he does something really interesting with it you know you can argue about whether or not it works but he was actually trying something so um you know he had all of these issues in getting silence distributed and getting silence made so it's hardly surprising that then he turned around and was like you know what i'm gonna work with netflix because netflix is actually willing to give me money willing to give me space to make the kind the kind of film that i want to make versus the more traditional studio which wasn't
1: right
0: and so it's hardly surprising that then he turned around and was like all right i'm gonna work with netflix and then he produces documentaries for them he produces the irishman you know all of that And he loves cinema, you know, he loves theaters and you just listen to him talk about them. But I think that he also accepts and understands that filmmaking is a business and filmmaking is, he wants to make the kind of art that he wants to make and he's going to do, he's going to go to the places that allow him to do that.
1: Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, while his movies have been successful, I guess one of the things that is worth noting about the difference between Scorsese and Spielberg is that Scorsese hasn't made multiple you know many millions hundreds of millions of dollar movies and definitely not like two in the same year which spielberg has done a couple of times so i think i think from that is it kind of makes sense why scorsese would embrace um because he doesn't make like the jurassic parks he never has and um and so i guess in that sense it makes sense that he would um Embrace just getting his his films to audiences in whatever way the audiences want to consume them.
0: Yeah, and and despite despite the fact that he is kind of one of the the granddaddy filmmakers now, yeah. um, he has always struggled with getting his films financed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it, and he even struggled with the Irishman. So so even though he's this venerated filmmaker, he has always had to kind of hustle basically. in order to get the films made and to also retain control over them and to be able to do what he wants to do with them um and and you know as you're saying spielberg really hasn't struggled for 30 years at least more than Um, that
1: (laughs) no i mean yeah like he the rumors about how he just kind of like worked his way into a job like just tricked his way into a job at universal and then started doing tv movies right away and then his first feature you know was a huge hit and so it's like i mean he's had some some duds along the way but but when he had when he had them earlier in his career it was just kind of like oh whatever the next one's going to be great like no one ever just said he's done he's washed up like you know like happens to most directors he never he never faced directors jail (laughs) ever
0: yeah that's true so not even after
1: 1941
0: (laughs) when you probably really should have um
1: (laughs) well then he came back and did close encounters and so you know
0: uh So, so yeah. So Spielberg, Amblin. Um, you know how that deal is ultimately going to play out is, is a question. We're, we're, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But it would be nice to actually have him come out and say, you know, what over the past year or so, I've been thinking about this and I've changed my attitude towards streaming. That yeah. would be. I mean, it'd be kind of self-serving, but it would also be good to see that he's actually you know, because he can't say, well, the films that I make are cinema, but the films that you make aren't.
1: Exactly, exactly. No, he needs to do it for the good of the industry. I mean, he's still on the board of governors for the Academy, and he's still very, very influential in the industry. And if he is willing to make a deal like this then and but then still continue to take the attitude that well in most cases it's not cinema then that's wrong that's super wrong and really unfair to the next generation of filmmakers that are coming
0: um so so yeah so that happened uh the the other thing that i wanted to, to touch on really quickly and this is more just kind of because we talked about the documentary so i felt like we should maybe address for a minute the uh, uh what what is going on with the britney spears um conservatorship and all of the all of those issues i mean if you have not heard about it i highly suggest you go and uh, read the statement that Spears made, which has not been published in Variety and has been excerpted in, in a number of different media. This was something that was not could not be recorded or broadcast, right, um, because of the nature of the trial, but um, or the hearing. Uh, but the the full text of her statement is uh, has been made available. So as we know, Spears has been um, existing under this conservatorship for years now, 13 years, something 13 like years, that.
1: 13 yeah.
0: um, And she essentially came out uh, during the, um, the probate hearing where she's trying to get out of the conservatorship. She's essentially being like, this is an abusive situation. Um, she doesn't, you know, it's not necessary uh, I think we need to remember the conservatorships are supposed to be for people that are basically incapacitated, that are incapable of making their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this is usually used for older people with dementia or Alzheimer's. So it actually, was the plot
1: of the movie I care a lot, also on Netflix.
0: <laughs> so the fact that this is being used against shes what forty-one years old now. Um, no so, way. Something like that, yeah. Brittany,
1: she is not forty.
0: I don't, I don't know how old she is.
1: can't be is. <laughs> no way she she's not almost the same age as me hold on i gotta look this up
0: that's what i thought but maybe i'm wrong uh, i thought she was in
1: her 30s
0: well i know that she's older than me and i'm 34 so because she was she was significantly not significantly but she was definitely several years older than me i think she's 41 that was holy
1: why. crap she turns 40 in december
0: there you she's go. Born in see?
1: 1981,
0: so she's I thought she
1: was way younger than me. <laughs> That's so weird.
0: Getting old, Karen. We're all getting old. Oh my
1: Gosh, wow. So,
0: so again, this this is this is not. So, this is not an elderly woman in in the throes of dementia. This is a, you know, not even really middle aged woman. <laughs> um, uh, well, they been, yeah.
1: I mean, this conservatorship started really when she was dealing with postpartum depression
0: yes and was
1: not really talked about
0: yeah exactly and so as as we talked about in our discussion of the documentary that kind of didn't necessarily didn't really start all this up again but definitely focused the public's attention on it and kind of reinvigorated the the free britney movement and all of that um long story short spears was actually able to speak directly with the judge via telephone and and have her entire statement be published and she is essentially saying that this is abusive she is being abused um and she wants out and it's a it's a heartbreaking statement i read most of the statement it's obvious that she is distressed and that there is no reason to keep her in this situation Mm -hmm. um and and she she's basically being imprisoned. She's being controlled by a group of people. She doesn't have access to you know anything outside of them. She's paying for her. Uh, she, one of the most horrific things to me is that she's paying for all of this. Yeah. So she's paying for them to defend against something that she doesn't even want.
1: Right. Yeah. She has to pay all the le- the attorney fees, all the court fees. Yeah. every every time they have like she had to pay for this court hearing everything that happens she has to pay for it, it comes out of her um her not not a state but um yeah it's, just like yeah, whatever it's her, that, yeah
0: it's the money that she earns right yeah. Um, yeah as as an as an artist as a performer etc and so she's mm-hmm. basically be, i mean in in a lot of ways this is yeah this is almost slavery it's it's like she's oh being it's not forced.
1: almost i mean it is slavery they won't she's
0: being forced to work
1: yeah yeah well like she didn't want to do the tour in 2018 and they made her do that and um and they threaten her you know it's like if you don't do this we're going to sue you and it's you know it's just these kinds of yeah. things that just keep happening to her over and over again i mean let alone the fact that she wants another baby she wants to get married she has eight forced iud that's in there against her will like that's just so unthinkable to me well, because and, and, oh sorry and,
0: oh no i was gonna say that's one of the things that i think was a, a number of people latched on to in her her statement she says a lot of things in that statement but that's that's one of the major ones where you're like wait a minute so she's essentially being forcibly sterilized mm-hmm. and and this is not something that she wants this is not a choice that she has made nothing like that her body is being controlled by her father and by a group of people that are just basically in power over her, and they get to do whatever they want to, including including doing probably the most invasive thing you possibly can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and well, and it- this is
1: like a, I think it was about a year ago, or maybe a little bit longer. They went back to court to argue that they should have an increase in their percentage of how much they made because she was making so much more money. And it's like, okay, if she's capable of making this much money, then why is she still on a conservatorship? She has the ability okay. to do this. She does not need to be taken care of. She's working more than full time. Yes. And,
0: and and she's describing in that statement, she's just, she's describing things like doing choreography and doing all these things. So, just like, so she's capable of that she's Mm -hmm. capable of performance but she's not capable of making a decision about whether or not she wants an iud in her body she's not capable of making the decision about seeing her boyfriend or seeing her children you know and it's it's shocking in some ways but at the same time it really has turned this light on on this very abusive system and the fact that this woman is being physically
1: controlled yeah
0: by all of these people and she's basically begging the court to do something about it Hmm.
1: so yeah any other thoughts I'm um sorry I interrupted you. oh no no it's it's i mean just more of the same it's i think that what this has done is sh- shine a light on how we all and we talked about this when we talked about the documentary but how we all um in some ways contributed to what has happened and and what has become of britney spears um and the way that she has been taken advantage of and controlled for so long but it also i think is shining a light on the system of conservatorship in general because that was one of the other things that was eye-opening just learning more about this case when when the doc came out and and just learning more about it in general is just like once you're on a conservatorship you don't come off like that it's it's they don't just take you off of it the assumption is that once you're there you need it forever and that's horrible that that can happen to people and how easy yeah. it is to just take control of someone's life without their against their will
0: mm-hmm. yeah so i i do encourage everybody to read her full statement and then of course we talked about the documentary a while ago when it came out watch the documentary it, it gives a very good breakdown of not just this this whole issue of the conservatorship, but also the um, the steps that the media took, the way that that Britney Spears was treated, and mm-hmm. and also the fact that this is related to misogyny, this is related to um, patriarchy, this is all of a piece. This is not. It's not like this happened in a vacuum. This happened because of the way the press treated her, because of the way the public treated her um and because of this demand almost to have power over these young women's bodies yeah um
1: well and i i have to say you know when when that documentary came out um whenever it was and i remember watching it and and listening to like the they interview the girls that run that podcast you know the free britney podcast or whatever and that they're constantly like looking for, for signs in her Instagram posts and things like that. And I thought, okay, guys, this is, this is going too far. You guys are being crazy, you know? And, um, then she came out after that and was like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. You don't understand what you're talking about. And you never know, especially when it comes to people in Hollywood, like what's real and what isn't, but That was just kind of like, well, if she if she's saying she's fine, like, who are we not to believe her? And I mean, I have to I have to credit the people behind the documentary, those ladies behind that podcast and Brittany herself for finally saying like for for pushing enough. And then in this case, the whole reason that we saw that we have this statement to even read the whole reason that we know all the things that were said in court the other day are because Brittany had enough support on the outside. Finally, understood that she did, and insisted on that hearing being public.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, and I think that she says that in in her initial statement mm-hmm. that she's like, "I'm not okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm not okay. I am being I'm being forced to say some of these things, but I didn't think that anyone would actually listen to me, and obviously." you know with the documentary with this this more public discussion about it people are listening and and it's more and it's not just a small group on the internet it is a lot of people i mean we're talking about it yeah um
1: now there is a fine line and we have to be careful with things like this because i remember that richard simmons podcast a few years ago claiming mm -hmm. that he was missing and it was just this really weird like the guy just wants to be left alone now you know and so there's definitely a fine line between like you know really just caring and worrying about people and going too far and invading their privacy but in this case it seems like you know these folks that were trying to get the truth out about britney really were doing the right thing
0: yeah so so we're of course going to continue to keep an eye on that i hope that something works out on this one there's certainly a lot of public pressure for it
1: I don't understand Um, how a judge can listen to those statements that she made, listen to all the things that have been done to her and just say, no, yeah, no, this should, this should continue.
0: This should continue (laughs) continue exactly exactly
1: the way it is. Oh
0: my God. So moving on um, to, to like a completely different focus, although, you know, celebrity and media and all of this stuff i guess that it's kind of a piece uh we wanted to close out pride month because talking about john waters and because john waters is like probably one of the queerest openly queerest filmmakers you can find Um, and and his films are bizarre it is it is a continual amazement to me that he is so popular because (laughs) so much of his work is about like horrifying mainstream culture and about basically being like i'm going to do the most disgusting thing i possibly can and like try to force people to look at it basically um so waters has been working since uh, he, he made his first short film hag in a black leather jacket in 1964. so he's been working pretty steadily since 1964 but if you actually look at his filmography he doesn't have that many films um his his first feature film is in 1969 mondo trasho and then he made a a series of films that are, are often technically anyone who works with waters for more than one film is considered to be a dreamlander uh dreamland being his production company but usually this like smaller group of films uh from the 60s and into the 70s are considered to be more of the dreamlander films because they were um Uh, this troop of actors that he basically made this this group of very low budget very trashy very bizarre films with uh starting with uh mondo trasho and the multiple maniacs um pink flamingos female trouble desperate living and and then you get into some of the more mainstreamy films uh, although it's a question of how mainstream waters has ever been um and he certainly likes to push the envelope even in getting mainstream actors to do things that they might not otherwise do for another director uh he's a he's a fascinating figure i feel like his he's he really is a a, a, an auteur uh he writes most of his films directs them often appears in them edits them uh and and is just like you can always tell a john waters film you just turn it on and you're like that was directed by john waters <laughs> um so i wanted to start out with just like talking about maybe which are some of our favorite waters least favorite what are our feelings about this very bizarre filmmaker who does things like no one else does <laughs> uh
1: so this is I haven't seen his earliest films. I didn't get a chance to watch the mind Criterion. and I wanted to, but just didn't work out. So I've only seen his like mainstream quote unquote movies. I remember seeing hairspray. Um, gosh, it would have been when it first came out. Um, I remember watching it actually at my babysitter's house and it was just so fun. I, I just, I loved that movie. It's, it's sad that that most people only know the 2007 film which is also a lot of fun but uh but just the hairspray itself like the original from 1988 uh with ricky lake and divine it's it's just this like crazy i i think that's the thing about his his movie at least the ones that i've seen is like i think you called him the other day the king of camp like there's even even when the story itself is is um like in Hairspray you know you've got this girl who wants to be a star she wants to be a dancer but she's a little plump and that's kind of um that's kind of her whole thing and then it it gets into to racial segregation or integration and all those topics and and for the time period like those are pretty you know i mean it's it's not that it's like a campy topic but the way that he tells these stories are and that's part of why he's so fun as a filmmaker
0: yeah he's he's using um and you see this i think all throughout his filmography including the more kind of mainstream films and and starting with the earlier um the earlier low budget films is that he's using exploitation cinema Mm -hmm. uh in in large measure and you know so even with Hairspray where there's a lot of, of this, just like, why you're dancing with a (laughs) black boy. Like it's that kind of acting. It's that kind of, you know, um, and and it's very much if you've ever watched any of those, any exploitation films that are like, you know, supposed to be highlighting the problem of teenage drug use and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. It's just like, why that is marijuana, you know, and, and he's using that kind of form and rather, and where those films usually come down to, to a sort of moralistic sensibility, even though part of the fun of the film is that they're indulging in these bizarre things and like claiming that, you know, stuff like reefer madness, where you're claiming that marijuana makes you insane, basically. <laughs> um, so even though these are like ostensibly, basically public service announcements, uh, they're, they're also... They're also exploiting that. That's why they're called exploitation films. They're using they're using those elements to kind of enjoy this indulgence and this trashiness and this darkness and everything. And Waters kind of takes that and runs with it, I guess. And and so it becomes like it's not really we're not really going to solve anything at the end of all of this. Um, but we actually, you know, something like Hairspray actually are going to point out the this whole issue of segregation we're actually going to talk about and 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 not only that to also then draw a kind of relationship between being overweight and wanting to dance and being like you know you're not well you're not right you're not perfect you're not the perfect thin blonde white girl who should who's the one who should be on the screen and it's like no i'm not perfect i'm i'm fat i'm black i'm this i'm that i am outside of the mainstream and i want to be outside of the mainstream and i deserve to actually get the attention and to actually be celebrated Mm -hmm. um and a lot of waters films do that where the 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 mark is essentially mainstream society and saying like all of these people that you consider to be freaks are freaks and they are better than you because that's what they are yeah, um, it's a lot more boring to be safe and suburban and um, and mainstream. Like that's not interesting. The interesting people are the ones who are who are existing on the fringes.
1: Yeah, and the people who are not afraid to be themselves. Much like John yeah. Waters is not afraid to be himself.
0: Exactly, mm. exactly. Yeah. So you, so you've got hairspray. Um, Cry baby is another one. I think that is which I know.
1: I saw it <laughs> once a long time ago, and. At the time i saw it i didn't like it and i it's one that i feel like i need to revisit just from some things i've read recently i'm like oh, I was probably just too young for it
0: <laughs> yeah cry cry baby is kind of a, a sister film to hairspray i think that that it's it is again it's that kind of teenage delinquent movie mm-hmm. um and johnny depp you know uh, johnny depp i'm so sad about johnny depp still oh, but no. um he's wonderful in this film he's wonderful in cry baby uh and and you've also got iggy pop you've got um uh what's her name patty hearst
1: mm-hmm. patty uh, Hurst shows up in a couple of his movies
0: yeah patty hearst uh tracy lords uh ricky lake um so you've got all of these really enjoyable uh, other actors that you get to watch and, and kind of have fun with and again it's it's that sort of okay the boring people the villains etc are are the 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 mainstream people it's the freaks that we really Mm -hmm. want to spend time with um and and you get that more one of my favorites and i think that you probably will agree is serial mom
1: i love serial mom
0: (laughs) (laughs) serial mom is one of those folks i like so this movie was made for me uh (laughs) and and i just love and one of the things i love about it is that kathleen turner so obviously is enjoying herself oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's like she's suddenly been told okay this is what you're gonna do she's like oh my god this is what i have wanted to do my entire life this is like the thing that i have wanted to do mm-hmm. um so yeah what are your thoughts on on Serial mom
1: oh i love it it's hilarious it's that like it's <laughs> this is gonna sound terrible but it's like i feel like if i were a mom in the suburbs this would be my quiet little fantasy that i would go to in my head of like i'm just gonna hide in her closet and stab her with scissors you know not that i would ever actually do it but there would be times i would think about it
0: well and, and i love the whole the whole concept is great because you've got this like you know perfect suburban mom right mm-hmm. played by kathleen turner who is secretly a serial killer and is killing people over things like putting the recycling incorrectly, right? You know, wearing white after Labor Day. All of those those kinds of, you know, again, it's those mainstream rules Mm -hmm. that are are supposed to be, this is what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do it, not only will I like be horrified by you, I will actually literally murder you.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And that's it's why it's so great.
0: Yeah, it's taking all of that to, to such a great extreme. And and then her kids are like, oh, actually, this is really cool. Mom's like a lot cooler than I thought she was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, it's it's those, you know, people on the fringes. Like she's in the suburb. She's very much like she fits the mold of the suburban, you know, housewife. She she does that really well, but um but there's just yeah she's just got this like twisted side to her and um yeah and kathleen turner like you said i mean she's just so clearly having fun in this and and that's that's why serial mom works is because it's it's campy and it's fun it doesn't take itself too seriously if it did it would completely fall apart
0: yeah it's it's extreme um, and it's it's that indulgence, again, and, and that's what I was saying, you know, you could always kind of tell a John Waters film, you've got those pastel pinks and kind of pale greens. Um, you have that kind of extremity of acting where, again, you're, it, it's that kind of, um, it's that exploitation film style of acting, where it's just like, why, you are masturbating to that film, you know? <laughs> and, and,
1: yeah.
0: and Serial Mom, in a lot of ways, is among his most mainstream films it's got you know kathleen turner who at that time was a big star um and it it was considered to be quite odd that she would make a choice to do a john waters film um, even though she's you know obviously having having a great time with it and uh and so it's it's kind of the mainstreaming of john waters in a lot of ways which was building up from about polyester onwards his films become a lot more mainstream um but he's still accomplishing something and ways he's infiltrated mainstream society and been kind of like all right i'm gonna keep on making these sorts of films but i'm going to criticize the culture that i'm working in basically
1: yeah well and that's the thing about about his films like i I went back and looked at some reviews of like cecil b demented and serial mom and 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 you know just because i was curious well in the time that these movies came out what were people saying about them and it's it's almost like people kind of missed the point of what he was doing because there's a lot of criticism about how his movies are are messy they're um like cecil be demented which we'll definitely talk about in a minute but how it feels like the set is just cobbled together with stuff that people just brought from their house you know or, or whatever and it's like yeah that's what he's going for you know and and he, he's not trying to make polished you know fancy studio movies he's actually trying to do yeah. the opposite of that and um and even with serial mom where it's you know it's like this prim and proper you know neighborhood and mom still wears dresses you know some and things like that and and there's still supposed to be a very unpolished look to it
0: yeah and and the part of the point is to shock i mean you're not really supposed to support what she's doing (laughs) no she's doing things like idolizing people like richard speck you know so there there's this um there's this extremity of it that she isn't even really waters isn't really even making trying to make it palatable right he's not like well this is actually a commentary upon society it's just like, no this is disgusting isn't it great Mm -hmm.
1: exactly (laughs) this is horrifying
0: and repellent it's It's gleefully
1: terrible (laughs) yeah
0: um it's i think there was an episode of the simpsons that he did a voice on where he talks about camp and uh and he says you know the the tragically ludicrous the ludicrously tragic you know and and that's a good description of it it's like yeah it's it's ludicrous and tragic and horrifying and yet really kind of pleasurable but also it's awful you know
1: um Um, i just wanted to jump in really quick for anybody who's curious hairspray from 1988 is available on hbo max crybaby is available on stars and Serial mom is on peacock
0: yay that's that's nice because i remember i had to rent Serial mom uh when i saw it but i i was just i was going through john waters phase and i was like i have to see it i (laughs) this is one of the few that i haven't actually seen um my parents would not let me watch it when it came out because i was way too young
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah in 1994 yeah you were way too young
0: yes i was i was eight but i remember them renting it um because they because there's i remember the image kathleen turner on the uh on the video pox <laughs> um uh, I did want to mention before we. I, I really want to talk about Cecil B. DeMille, but before we go to that, I wanted to mention his his earlier films, which are three of which are available on Criterion: um, Multiple Maniacs, Pink Flamingos, and Female Trouble are all on Criterion. Mm-hmm. And I think that I so these are not pleasurable films. These are not films that you sit down and you're like, "This is fun to watch." It's horrific in some places it's very funny like there there is a lot of humor particularly in female trouble i think which is kind of the more polished of those three films in the sense that you you get more of a sense that he knows what he's doing and what he wants to do with this story um divine is divine i mean divine is fantastic uh but all of these films really are about pushing the limits of taste and of bad taste and of trying to shock the audience trying to make the audience uncomfortable and kind of indulging in the grossness and the the violence and the depravity of all of this there's some great lines and everything i do admit that multiple maniacs just misses for me um it's it's one of his earliest um feature films and i just find it very difficult to watch and i think that that's some of the point uh but it's it's even too much for me like at one point i was like i don't know what i was supposed to do here like i'm really just (laughs) grossed out this entire time um so i do think that they're worth watching i think that the the best one is probably female trouble and in some ways it's the most extreme because it's the easiest to follow the plot uh but there's there's some pretty horrific shit happens in all of those movies uh although it's also a lot of fun so yeah
1: (laughs) yeah i have not seen them but one of the things i guess just along with what he does in his you know more mainstream movies but he really likes to to tell stories that push the boundaries of what is acceptable and you know he likes here's the word that we used way too much in one episode but he likes to make films that are kind of trans transgressive like films that that don't fit in with what is generally accepted and that's part of why he's just so much fun i think that's why he has sort of this cult following that he really deserves and has earned and has cultivated uh that sounded weird cult cultivated um but uh, but yeah, because he he really likes to make movies that are not just you know he would he and Steven Spielberg would never make the same type of movie and <laughs> and that's a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's I mean it is transgressive and it is and sometimes there is a sense of pointlessness like why is why is he doing this? But I think that even there, that's it's really brilliant because the point is bad taste. Yeah. the point is for it to be extreme. Um and in in that way he's working within this genre and and working within these concepts that it, he's not making really a political point in a lot of his films. It's more like you're horrified by this but you're still watching it, you know. You are grossed out by all of this. This this has no artistic merit whatsoever.
1: Um, which is not to say that his films are not political because they are all art is political and movies are art (laughs) so (laughs) just to say that again like he frequently has gay characters he has trans characters he has, Mm -hmm. you know and like that is making a political point using women in key roles you having yeah. diverse casts. that is all part of his political statement of like even going back to the 80s and the 70s of saying like look you can do this in movies and have them work really well
0: yeah he, he's he's pushing back on all of those kinds of mainstream narratives and yeah. the the result is that of course you're, you're you're talking about people who who exist on the fringes who are not acceptable to mainstream society and it's sort of It's interesting because his films tend to other mainstream societies, so rather than being like, okay, these are all, these are the outsiders, these are the others, he's saying, no, these are the insiders, these are the people that, you know, he's, he's inverting everything, basically, saying these are the people that are should be acceptable and everyone who's you know quotation marks normal is are the ones that are on the outside they're the horrifying ones yeah um which is
1: pretty explicitly stated in cecil Be demented
0: <laughs> yes and I, I did just want to reference there's a line in um female trouble where and again it's a pretty obvious inversion basically it's an aunt who really wants her son to her her nephew to be gay and the reason why she really wants him to be gay, and she's horrified by his heterosexuality, is is that you know the the straight the heterosexual world is uh, is sick and boring, and it's like you know what I really like that I like the fact that it's such an obvious inversion, but it works so well. It's just like <laughs> no, it's disgusting that you like women. How dare you? <laughs> um it's awesome but yeah let's talk about uh uh Cecil B Demented.
1: <laughs> yeah well, let's do. which
0: is so fucking punk man <laughs> it's such a punk movie such a punk movie so uh yeah why don't you go ahead Karen um because I've been talking about some of his early films
1: <laughs> I well I watched it for the first time yesterday I had never seen it before and not for any particular reason it was just one that has never really crossed my path and so I just haven't gotten around to it but i knew we were going to be having this conversation and i was like i can't not talk about john waters and not have seen this movie so um so it was like four minutes into it i texted you and i was like oh my gosh i love this movie so much (laughs) um it's uh i i really appreciate like for someone who has spent his career being on the fringes and making movies that definitely do not appeal to mass audiences i really love the way that he uh takes this movie cecil Be demented and which and tells the story about this you know crazy film director who wants to make independent films and he has sort of his his group his his troop of of filmmakers with him and um they are like just everything they do is oh we're going to sacrifice for the art we're not going to have sex until our film is finished until principal photography is done and you know making all these arbitrary rules for for his crew um just for the sake of the art and as they go through like they kidnap this famous movie star which is played by Melanie Griffith and then they are just doing like this kind of kamikaze style uh, guerrilla style where they'll just drop into an area and just start filming their movie and what they do along the way is then um like there, <laughs> there are certain scenes where they'll um interrupt disrupt uh of film the screening or a movie that is being shot that is like a big studio film and uh, they have these conversations with studio directors and and executives and it's all about like well we're the ones that are really making art you're just interested in making money and so it's just calling all that out but it does it in such a funny way that I just was like this I needed this movie so much
0: (laughs) it is it's so much fun and and I like that that there's such a love of film but also an acknowledgement of how hypocritical the film industry is Uh and of how like the no one is is a winner here right no No. one is just like oh (laughs) you're you know it's independent filmmaking versus studio filmmaking it's like no you're all a bunch of weirdos right
1: (laughs) well that was one of the things i was thinking about as i was like watching like there's the scene where the where Cecil's crew is introducing themselves to Honey after she's been kidnapped, and um, they're all showing off their tattoos. And like, they all have you know, um, trying to even think of some of the names Spike Lee and um, um, Sam
0: Peckinpah,
1: yeah, uh, and like Otto
0: Preminger, (laughs) yeah.
1: And I was just watching this going, Oh my gosh, John Waters made a movie about film twitter folks before twitter even existed
0: it's so true it's so true it, <laughs> it like it, it's it's very prescient in a lot of ways yeah
1: <laughs> but then that also tells me that really film fans cinephiles haven't changed their medium has just changed
0: oh yeah definitely
1: like that it's not so you know like to use this word again it's not so fringe now because there's a there's all these big social media platforms where they can get themselves recognition and and attention but these folks have existed since the beginning of time and sometimes they end up making studio deals and making million dollar you know multi-million dollar movies
0: yeah it's it's a it's great i i I do love cecil be demented it's i haven't watched it enough times actually because i one of the things i like about waters films is that you think you know the plot and then you actually try to talk about it or you try to you know summarize it's like well so like there's this thing and then i'm not quite certain how they get there but there's like a film premiere and
1: (laughs) i will say i snorted dr pepper from laughing so hard when they get to the set of gump again yeah (laughs) yeah Oh, yeah. All and kevin Nealon are... is playing forrest gump and <laughs> and he's like i only take the parts i'm offered <laughs> <laughs> it's great yeah it's it so is funny. a great
0: film it is a great film. oh my
1: gosh it's, it's so yeah it's so good because it really does do such a good job of of kind of peeling back the layers and showing like this is really what the film industry is like but it does it in a yeah. way that it's like you know for example honey the character melanie griffith plays everyone's talking about how she's so sweet she's just the nicest person and behind the scenes she's a raving bitch and it's like that happens all the time we know that like we probably know lots of people in hollywood that are like that and not even in hollywood but just in Mm -hmm. general but um but you know that's that's how the movie opens is with getting to know this woman and then along the way she you know after she gets kidnapped she develops Stockholm syndrome which was kind of interesting that Patty Hearst is in a movie like this yes (laughs) but uh but yeah not like not like that's deliberate Um. (laughs) I know um but yeah and so it's like every it's just such a it's such an interesting take from a filmmaker who is not considered really part of the mainstream uh who definitely makes a lot of like his films are independent and but he's able to call attention to that too and be like yeah these people are crazy too so
0: good i
1: liked it a lot
0: i love it so i i think a good place to close this out actually is to ask the question so this is a filmmaker whose whole thing right is this pushing back against the mainstream but he's yeah. made a lot of mainstream films and he's kind of beloved by by mainstream people i mean i i went to see a a screening of polyester back before the pandemic it was the at the ifc and it was packed and um and you know and everyone's kind of laughing and participating and everything polyester is Is sort of that one of those interim films where he's it's it stars Divine it's got Tab Hunter in it like it's a very bizarre movie, Um, but so it's it's like he's this major figure you know he he designed the poster for um, the uh, the, New York York Film Festival a couple years ago and so it's a weird it's kind of a weird thing because he has become this mainstream figure but at the same time he's done it by never stopping being who he is right there's never been this question of selling out
1: yeah you know i think honestly i think the big reason that he is so embraced and so accepted is because not only is he unapologetically himself he also accepts that about everybody else yeah and i think that there are just certain people who are able to to really just make people feel like who they are matters. And I think that that's ultimately what really, um, what really makes people love him. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I told you the other day that I had the opportunity just on a red carpet one time to meet him. Uh, I was with Kristen. We were at the IFC, uh, the film independent awards, independent spirit awards. And he just happened to be walking by and we only talked to him for like a minute, but in that minute, he made us feel like we mattered. We were journalists and, and he wanted to give us his attention and answer our questions. And it was just such a cool moment. And I mean, I let Kristen do most of the questions. Cause I was just like, uh, it's John Waters. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it was just such a cool thing. And it was, I think that that's part of why he has been so successful in his way, because uh because he does he really he really makes makes people feel valued and important
0: yeah and i think that his films do in their own way as well that that it's it's giving permission to be weird
1: Uh and
0: to do and to sort of be be the person that you are kind of thing um and and whatever that happens to be and you know be interested in the trashy crap you know be interested in the weird pornography and stuff like that there there is this kind of celebration of have a good time
1: yeah yeah and if it's not fun what's the point
0: Yeah, and and don't be worried about whether or not anyone approves of it Mm -hmm. because the actually the less that they approve the better
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: yeah And, and i do like this celebration of trash of trash cinema of of really embracing you know like all of this stuff is terrible and that's why we love it. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot of that in his films, so. Exactly. So I think that that's a good place to, to close this out. Anything else that you wanted to say about John Waters other than as, as per usual, we always say, go watch more <laughs> movies, go watch his films. Three of them are available on Criterion. As Karen said, there are a whole bunch that are available uh, via, via a number of different streaming services. You can get most of his films
1: that's the thing like he's not one of those filmmakers that are just impossible to find like dorothy yeah (laughs)
0: there's there's a reason for that also but um yeah yeah and like and i know that polyester was recently released on um criterion disc Uh, a number of his early films have been released on criterion disc so they're they're around you can watch these films um and and do get beyond hairspray hairspray is a fun film I feel like that tends to be the one that everyone has seen, uh, yeah. but he made a lot. He's made a lot more, and there, there many of them are just as fun, if not even more so. So,
1: Serial Mom is definitely his best. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think that Serial Mom is up there as my favorite. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that is going to close us out. Thank you so much for listening to us, and thank you, of course, very very much to our patrons, who include Adriana, Ali, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Pau, and Will. Thank you so much, you guys, for uh, supporting us. We are getting a bonus episode up, which probably by the time that you're listening to this it will be available um where we're talking about portrait of a lady on fire so watch for that if you would like to join our patreon that's patreon.com slash citizen you get fun bonus episodes including hearing us talk about portrait of a lady on fire um which was so much fun to discuss yet again because mm-hmm. i love that movie uh and we're also trying to do some more fun things uh for patrons so that's patreon.com slash citizen dame we do have a zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen pod and a ko fi if you just want to throw us a few dollars so it's co-fi.com slash citizen dame of course you can email us citizen at gmail.com and ask us any questions if you ha- are having any issues with um the episodes or if you you know make have suggestions to make please just shoot us an email just be nice we try to be nice to everybody uh except for certain people um we also have our website (laughs) that's citizendamepod.com i'm very slowly getting some of my tribeca reviews up um we've got a couple of other things coming and i'm also going to have a couple more blu-ray reviews coming up and karen is going to have some reviews as well so watch out for that Yes. We are also on Letterboxd now, trying to make some lists for your reference and enjoyment. Uh, That's at Citizen Dame. And we are, of course, on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. You can also get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you?
1: I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson.
0: And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LHBusiness. So that will close us out for this week. Hope you enjoyed yourself. We will talk to you later. Bye. You can't wear white shoes after Labor Day. That's not true anymore. Yes, it is. Didn't your mother ever tell you? (laughs) Now you know. No,
1: please. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't.